Awesome, we're going to go to the Word of God tonight. It's uh, exciting. I want to share a bit of my story. Can people see my eyes with caps on? That's okay, yeah. Our lights are too high. You can't wear a cap on our stage. You lean up shady. Uh, But this is me with a new hairstyle, you see? I gave you a new hairstyle tonight. Uh, This one's this morning's hairstyle. This one's tonight's hairstyle. Some of you will appreciate that more when you're bald. Hey, Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is true. Lord, we thank you that it holds wisdom for us today. Lord, it holds solutions for our tomorrows. And Lord, it holds healing from our past. And so, Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. Lord, as we open our hearts to your word, Lord, we ask you to anoint it. Lord, I ask for your help. I need it. And Lord, uh, we ask for your help to receive it and to be people who put your word into practice. Amen. I mean, that's a great prayer to pray. Oh, I'm, I'm constantly challenged by the fact that people heard Jesus preach and didn't respond. Uh, and so that's a challenge to me to be responsive. Yep. You know, I know uh, some of you have read the Bible many times. I've read the Bible cover to cover many times. I've read it bit by bit many times. I've read it kind of forwards and backwards. And I still maintain that if you can't receive from the Word of God, there's a teachability issue because it's alive and active. So what that means is it's not surprised by the circumstance of your life. It's not surprised by what happened last night. It's not surprised by the All Blacks winning. It's not surprised by the invention of electricity, the internet, cell phones. Actually, the Word of God is alive. So it is, it is perfectly written and perfectly constructed for us to learn something today. So it's great to be here tonight in Equippers Dunedin. Uh, Equippers Christchurch are having a praise party tonight, so that's going to be going crazy. I'm quite glad I'm not there because my legs are so sore from yesterday's exercise uh, that I think I'd probably run out partway through. Uh, our worship leader, Matt Cornford, he, um, he finally knows what it's like to make a sacrifice of praise. The other week in a night service, he was doing his praise thing, and then his calf muscle kind of went, and then he's kind of doing it like this, and then he just couldn't do it at all, and in the end, he kind of walked off stage and got someone else to lead. Uh, but as you get older, things like your calf muscles and Achilles go wrong. Uh, and some of you young guys think you know what it is to sacrifice and praise, but you don't know what it's like to wake up Monday morning limping out of bed because you praised on Sunday night. Some of the more senior people in the room can relate, uh, but it's no excuse. I mean, I'd rather be injured doing that than other things that I've been injured doing. So tonight I want to talk to you about something, and, and really I just want to tell a bit of my story, and my heart is that you'll hear uh, the why behind the what, and don't try and be a copy, but actually just gain faith. One of the gifts I carry is the gift of faith. Uh, and it is, uh, it is something I release. We, we pray for people in Christchurch to get jobs. Uh, we have so many testimonies of people just getting jobs. We pray uh, one person on a Sunday night. The next morning, they're woken up by a phone call offering them a job as an engineer. Another time was a Wednesday night meeting. Uh, Thursday morning, an email offering her a job as a doctor, which was uh, quite a miracle because the hospital system, they only employ at certain times of year, and she was outside of that season. Uh, we have people who, when they came up with us from Denise, and struggled to get jobs for four months uh, on our team and actually, in fact, on our eldership who have been uh, literally headhunted by Google uh, and flown to the LA campus. So how freaky is this? The guy gets emailed uh, and Google says, hey, we want to give you a job. And he's like, ha, 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 delete it, spam. Uh, they emailed him and said, don't delete this. This is Google. And he said, spam. And then they rang him on the phone and said, hey, we'd like, and he said, like, I didn't apply for a job. I was like, how do you know? It's like, we Google. Of course we know. <laughs> And they flew him to their LA campus and he's gone through multiple job interviews where people have said, how much do you want us to pay you? 
Uh, and the first time he did this, he said, well, I gave them a cheeky offer and they agreed on the spot. My advice to him was, man, you should have been rude, not cheeky. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to share a bit of my story tonight and uh, that includes my time in Dunedin. My wife and I met in Dunedin. My wife's my, by far my better third. Um, she's an amazing woman. She's South African. Uh, but she posted the silver fern after the Springboks lost to Japan. Uh, her dad's comment on Facebook was, no. And I was like, yes, I've finally beaten him. <sighs> uh, but that's been great. And I had even gracious in-laws this morning because South Africa went in the final, uh, which was great. Uh, so we, we got married in Dunedin. I graduated uh, University of Otago Dental School uh, in the top 10 dental schools in the world. It's because of that styly building. You know that. Uh, we graduated at the end of 2002, married two weeks later, 10 months, two days later, first child in hand, uh, Deborah. Uh, then two years, two months after the day we got married, Daniel born, uh, second child, and then one of our friends gave us a TV, and it slowed down. Uh, we now have four children. Uh, in my spare time, I work, as some of you are getting that, some of you do, oh, what does he mean? <laughs> Keep your innocence, that's good. Uh, but um, we, we have... Um, we now have four children. Uh, the oldest is Deborah. She's 12 and this tall. Uh, then I've got Daniel, who's really probably our most gentle-spirited child until he gets onto the sports arena. Uh, and then he looks a lot like his dad, <laughs> which is a wee bit convicting at times. Uh, I've got dad, David, who's seven, and then Zoe, who's three. Uh, Zoe thinks she rules the world, as, as we do. Now, now, when we started out in marriage, we're like, okay, in about four or five years, we'll have children. Uh, we had this great plan. We talked to Pastor Paul and Gainer and our marriage council, and that's going to be our plan. And uh, we thought, well, great, my wife's going to work as a lawyer. She'd qualified in law and science, and I'd got a lowly dental degree and worked as a house surgeon at the hospital here. And we thought, great, we'll be two income, no kids. Um, so we got an apartment on Vogel Street, number eight, Vogel Street, which is because we live there now, become a really trendy place to live. Uh, we, we set the bar there and we had, a, we had a great kind of first three weeks of married life. Uh, and then about the time I finished my first week of work, we were doing um, a retreat for our leaders for the university group we'd started and uh, uh, my wife started vomiting because she was pregnant. We found out we were pregnant and two days later she started vomiting. And we're like, yeah, we're kind of, you know, oh, we should keep a secret for 12 weeks. And then, you know, after like three vomits on the first day, we're like, we can't keep this a secret. Now, greatest city in the world to be pregnant and morning sick in because you can vomit anywhere in Dunedin and no one cares. Uh, that year, my wife vomited on average about two to three times a day, but up to five times a day, every day of pregnancy, including the day after she gave birth to Deborah. Uh, we vomited in just about every car park. She could not open the fridge in our apartment without vomiting. So I'm working in, uh, in the facial surgery team. I'm on call one in every three weeks for seven days. Uh, in those on-call times, uh, I was working up to 90 hours a week. Uh, I had this frustration. I was working with Jacob Grieve, uh, and we compared notes midway through the year. There were two other house surgeons. My quietest week on call would give me an additional 12 hours, and my busiest week on call would give me an additional 46 and I compared with the other guys, there's one guy, Jason Law, his busiest week on call for the first half of the year was 12 hours. I was like, what the heck? So we were running from restaurant to vomit to restaurant. Uh, one weekend we ate five meals of pizza, and then my wife vomited pizza and we didn't have pizza again. Uh, then she got craving those little snacks, you know, cheese and crackers. We were spending $25 a week to feed her addiction. It was starting to blow our budget. Like, So we'd budget it on, you know, two incomes, no kids, so we'd kind of... Th- you know, got an apartment accordingly. 
Uh, never a good idea to sign a rent based on a job you're hoping to get. Just a wee thing, because when you start vomiting uncontrollably, you cannot work uh, in any form. So we did that for a year. Um, just to wind back the clock, in my fourth year of dental school, I was asked by the pastor of this church, then Pastor Paul Bennett, to run the university group. The reason I was asked to do that is because I was good at barbecue. There were two people who were far more gifted, meant to be doing the job, uh, and they talked about how they were going to do all this stuff the next year and kind of puff, pumped it up a bit, and then one of them didn't come back to Dunedin because they got a job elsewhere, and the other one started sleeping with her boyfriend and never came back to God. And like they were, they were lined up. This is not a joke, by the way. It was serious, quite sad. Uh, but they were lined up. They said, there's going to be this great barbecue at my flat, which is in Park Street on the attic, which is the stone building you'll see up there. And I was like, oh, wow. All these people are coming for a barbecue and no one's going to do it. And fortunately, what God had equipped me with two years before that is New Zealand School of Food and Wine for barbecue. So I started doing a barbecue. And people liked my barbecue because I was good at it. Uh, and the key really is just spend money on the meat. That's, that's the, don't, don't buy those pre-cooked bits of sawdust. They are rubbish. So we did that, and, and the, sooner or later, Pastor Paul asked me to run the university ministry. We did very little uh, with that the first year other than pray, and then the next year we started with a team of uh, five leaders. Justine Verburn was one of them. Uh, some of you won't know who Justine Verburn is, but there she is right there. Now Justine Greaves, she came back from Christchurch to do that. I'd like to take the credit for her and Jacob meeting, but I can't. Uh, Mayor and Dave Whitaker, who were not Mayor and Dave Whitaker until they met in a leadership retreat. Uh, there were a couple of other leaders, and I think they all ended up getting married somehow. But uh, uh, we started with five people, 20, 22 people on our first night, and it grew over that, and God blessed it. And over time it grew, and so the requirements of leading this ministry created demand on my life. Uh, so I went through dental school. We're doing 36 contact hours a week. I'm running the ministry. I worked out a deal with God that I won't study during term time and you'll bless my study during exam time. Uh, I had a strategy, which um, Jake will attest to as my flatmate, of doing one night on assignments. I would start assignments that were always due on Friday at dental school, Thursday night after dinner, and I would read and I'd type through the night, drink coffee, and I'd go to flat prayer meeting at 7 o'clock Friday morning, and then I'd hand my assignment in without proofreading, which was foolish, because I can't spell, I have poor grammar. Uh, English was my weakest subject always. Like literally three out of 20 in the last spelling test I ever did. Uh, Girl who's been in New Zealand two years from Taiwan, a good friend of mine, 19 out of 20 in the same spelling test. So this wasn't a wise strategy, but it's what God and I worked out. Uh, I was blessed, not because of my study habits, but because I was putting first the kingdom of God. And, and the ministry started to grow and people started to get saved slowly. And we started to see a change and a shift. And over the years, the team changed and it ended up being a team of like 45 leaders. And uh, we were running, I think uh, the last service we ran, there were 274 people who were predominantly tertiary students. Uh, there were 42 people who had never been in church before. There were, there were, and I forget which way around, it was either seven people made a first-time response to Jesus or seven people baptized and five people, it was, it was seven and five. Oh, sorry. Um, and, and so over time, things grew. I started working. The next year, I finished facial surgery. You know, we're married. We have one kid. And uh, I started working. And the, my boss gave me uh, an interview and said, OK, well, we'll put another surgery on and employ you full time. And then he came back to me and said, look, I can't. Uh, historic building. Can't change it. How about I pay you more and you work less? I was like, OK, yep, yep. We can, we can, we can work with that. It's one of those conversations you say yes to very quickly. Uh, and that started in a really amazing journey is that the more I volunteered for church uh, and the less I worked. Now, I'm gonna, for the purpose of the conversation tonight, work is my dental business. 
uh, and church is just what I do. Now, you're never not a full-time pastor, and I'd like to say, in all of my years of dentistry, I've never laid awake at night crying because of the pressure or the pain or the sadness of what I've done. So I think pastoring is far harder work than dentistry. But for the purpose of tonight's conversation, work is dentistry. So we go on, we wind up, and it came kind of, there's demands in a time, and the ministry was growing, and I thought, man, I need to be there for a day. And so I said, well, can I work a bit less? Uh, and so I worked a bit less, and we went on from there and uh, kind of kept working less and less and less, and we got down to a 20-hour working week and then volunteering on average about 40 hours a week for church, uh, sometimes up to kind of 50 or 60 on those big weeks. Um, and the ministry grew, and there were ups and downs. There were challenges personally. There were challenges as a couple. We had kids and vomiting, and the barbecues got bigger, and eventually we had about 170 people at our house for a barbecue one Sunday morning. And typical Dunedin, it was really beautiful in the morning. You walked out of church and it clouded over and started to rain. And I remember we cleared out our bedrooms. The beds were tipped up against the wall. We had uh, 165 people, as best we could count, in my house. My house wasn't big. It had one of those really wide hallways, though. We had 35 people in the hall. Uh, it was to kind of meet the new students, and you had to meet them because you're kind of pressed up against them, kind of walking past. And it was pouring with rain. We had guys holding umbrellas over the, the barbecue so we could cook. And this, this started a journey that we went on of, 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 of facing pressure. Uh, there's pressure we face. And so tonight I want to talk about what it is to be under pressure. Some of you will know the song. It'll be a bit loud, I reckon. Under pressure. Some of you are like, oh, I thought this was vanilla ice. Well, they sampled it. You've been taken to music school tonight. Pressure. Now, I'm hoping that song's going to get stuck in your head tonight because I want you to think about what it means, you see? Because I've learned over time that pressure is part of life. And in fact, we face pressure all sorts of ways and all sorts of times. You, as a parent, you face pressure. As a married couple, you face pressure. As a single person, you face pressure. As an employee, you face pressure. As a, as a boss, you face pressure. As a business owner, you face pressure. As a Christian, you face Pressure and how we handle pressure, in fact, how we view pressure is, is, is definitive in how we handle promotion. See, a lot of people sell out for a lie. They believe, oh, I just want to be in a space where there is no pressure. You know, they, they fall for the trap of, well, Fiji, that island, that tropical island in Fiji, that's it. That's what it means to be successful in life. Now, there's nothing wrong with a holiday in Fiji, but if you're believing to escape pressure is the only way you can be happy, you're missing out. And I want to start with a passage from uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised in verse 12 of First uh, Peter chapter 4, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you'll be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment 
And it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also if the righteous are better saved, what will happen to the godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. See, my experience is that often I've dealt with pressure. It's been like this cloud in the background. And you can be under pressure one way and it, it manifests badly if you view pressure wrong in another way. I've been under financial pressure that's intense and what it's, what if, I, if I haven't dealt with it correctly, if I haven't dealt with it biblically, if I don't view it the way Peter views it and the way Paul views it and the way the Bible places it, it, it turns out to me being unreasonably grumpy at my kids and telling them off for spilling their milk, literally. And you sit there and then you're getting grumpy at yourself because you're grumpy at your kids unreasonably and it makes you more grumpy at your kids. Because pressure's there. And we need to learn to handle pressure, not just how to escape pressure because I believe pressure is actually key to promotion and how we handle it. And it's how we handle pressure without allowing pressure to deform us. You see, and I see like a dark cloud and it hangs and it, it, as the pressure mounts, it's like the, the cloud, southerly cloud is coming over ready to rain and we, we somehow learn to kind of, kind of focus on God and it pushes the cloud back for a while until we're not focused on God. And then the cloud kind of quickly comes back and that weight of whatever it is, the pressure of being married. And then you add to being married the pressure of having children. Uh, and then you add to the pressure of many children, uh, the pressure of being in ministry. All of these things carry a weight and a pressure to them, and it is not wrong that they do. So what I wanted to speak on tonight is maintaining faith under pressure. You see, because I believe pressure is actually positive, not negative. I believe that's what Peter says and that's what Peter experienced and what he lived out. You see, if you think about pressure as a, as a physics concept, that pressure is neither good nor bad. You can have, uh, if you think of how you got here tonight, most of you came on some form of rubber tire. If you had no pressure, you would not have made it here. If you have no air pressure, you will have a flat, you'll have ruined your rims. If you have too much pressure, however, it will have caused the rubber to deform and then eventually you'll get a rupture and a burst and a puncture. So uh, there's air pressure on you right now, one atmosphere of air pressure. Now if we go too deep, we get crushed by the pressure. As we go down more and more atmospheres, the pressure increases till it crushes us. Uh, but if we lived in a vacuum, we would all explode and be fat and huge. Because we're actually formed by pressure. It holds our body in shape. So pressure is neither good nor bad, but it's learning how to handle pressure. Um, and in fact, I believe pressure will promote that pressure produces increased capacity. And I think pressure handled well will lead to another level. So my life has gone from, you know, working up to 90 hours a week every third week and on the other weeks kind of 42 hours a week sort of thing. In my business world to now I'm a business owner, 12 employees, three contractors, working 14 hours a week. Now that would be a great story. Wow, that guy's pretty relaxed. But once again, in my spare time, I am a dentist. Uh, I am a full-time pastor, a full-time husband, a full-time father. And all of those things are going on. I also have uh, responsibility for oversight of four churches. I'm on the board of another church. Uh, this week, I'll get to flight number 61 for the year. Uh, and that's 40 less than this time last year. 
So I want to talk to you a bit about how to cope with the pressure of life. Because some of you think, wow, I'm under so much pressure. I'm about to deform. I'm about to break. But I actually believe if you, if you can put these four principles into place, you'll learn how that will shape you and promote you. In our first year of marriage, my wife and I gave 20% of our gross pre-tax income to the church. We paid 10% in tithes. We did 5% in an offering. Uh, 10% in an offering, sorry. And we started there. If you fast forward now, we're coming up 13 years married. Uh, we, we last financial year gave over 60% of our personal pre-tax income. Now that doesn't add up because if you understand the tax rates, you know, you sit between about 30 and 33% in New Zealand. It doesn't make sense. But if you look at it as a percentage, what we have given has gone up, uh, oh, I can't even remember the percentage increase. I had it written on my phone, not here. But in the last two years, we have managed to give, by God's blessing and grace, over a quarter of a million to registered charities, working now 14 hours a week. So we went from 90 hours a week, earning very little, struggling to survive, giving 20% of our income, down to this phase where we're now 14 hours a week, and, and there's been enormous pressure there, but the handling of the pressure has brought promotion. Now, some of you go, wow, that's amazing. I'd like to do that. And that's a great desire. But if you want what I've got, you've got to go through what I've been through. And, and, and it's all about how you handle the pressure. And, and, and what we have done is made sure that every step of the way, we've put the kingdom of God first, to the best of our ability, with two sinners married to each other, leading a little family of little sinners, but to the best of our ability, we've tried to, when it comes to the big life decisions, God, what should we do with our money? Well, how much should we give? It's not, should we give God? It's how much. I actually don't believe you need to seek God on the tithe. It's like saying, I need to seek God on whether I should murder this person or not. It's in the Bible. You don't have to ask the Holy Spirit about that. Where the faith comes in, where the Holy Spirit comes in, is how much should I give above that? And that's what my wife and I have done. And so... Driving this in the background, we have had years of unbelievable blessing and favor by people who have been phenomenally generous to us. You know, I look at the stats from last financial year, and it does not, you cannot live on seven, we're not making that much money to live on 7% of our income. We are not. But what we have been given, uh, uh, and, and what we've sown in faith, we have reaped. But you see, under pressure, when you obey God and you step out in faith, there will always be a point of pressure. And that's the thing, if we deform under pressure, if we deflate under pressure, we will fade away. So first point tonight, so much to say, so little time. And number one, under pressure, we need to keep, and I'm going to give you all four points now, we need to keep perspective. Number two, we need to keep priorities. Number three, we need to keep producing fruit. And number four, we need to keep praising See, here's the thing. Here's pressure. Here's something of incredible value that comes out of pressure. If you take the, um, the, the chemical substance carbon, and one of its basic forms, carbon is really effectively coal. It's something we used to burn a lot in Christchurch. We're not allowed to use anymore because it makes smoke. I still believe bits of Dunedin probably use it, do they? Are you allowed to use it still in Dunedin? No idea? Oh, okay. Yeah, some people are saying yes. You burn coal. Coal is not very valuable. You leave it in a shed outside your house. It's black and it's sooty and we just burn it. If you expose carbon to intense pressure, the molecules align and it becomes diamond. 
One of the hardest substances known to man, used for cutting glass, used for cutting your teeth, used for cutting all sorts of things, used for declarations of undying love. Diamonds are incredibly valuable, coal pretty common. The difference is pressure and time. Another one is oil. Oil is really just trees and stuff like that. Left underground, and for all the geologists, here's some simplifying it, I get that. But it's underground, in temperature, and under pressure. So sometimes when you're under pressure, you're thinking, God, I need to escape this. God is actually saying, no, I'm trying to form something in you with this pressure. And how you respond to it will determine if it forms something good or if it deforms you. So number one, you need to keep perspective. Proverbs 24.10 in the NLT says, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. It's a good start. You see, we need to keep our perspective because if we fail under pressure, it's not because the pressure is great, it's just because it's a measurement of our strength. Sometimes I believe we're exposed to pressure so God can indicate actually where your strength is at. Because sometimes we think, oh, wow, I'd do anything for you, God. And then the next week we're like, oh, I've had enough, I want out. And it's just to keep a reality check to stop us getting uh, too puffed up. But pressure happens all the time. And, and pressure, you know, if you're single, you think, man, I'm under pressure right now. Well, you, you'll get married. I used to think I wasn't a selfish person until I got married. And then I got married, I realized I'm selfish. And then we used to think we weren't that selfish as a couple until we had kids. And, and all these pressures push on you and demand time and, and demand money and, and demand all sorts of things. But we've got to keep our perspective. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 12, we are pressed, sorry, verse 8 to 12, we are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Verse 10, through, uh, sorry, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life Jesus will be, of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So in verse 12, we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life. He goes on in verse 16, this is why we never give up. Now, here's the thing. We could go on in this passage, but for the sake of time, we'll stop. It's a really good one to read. We all think, man, what I'm going through right now, God, oh, take it away. It's too much. But actually, if we line it up with the words of the Apostle Paul, was it really? We've got to keep perspective. You know, there are other people in the world that have got it tougher than us. You know, by the fact that we live in New Zealand, we are in the blessed, the privileged 10%. By virtue of the fact that you wear clothes to church tonight, and thank you for wearing clothes to church tonight, it's a whole lot less awkward. You are blessed. By the fact that you get access to a free education to, to a level of 18, you are in the, the top 1% of the world. By the fact that you've eaten, and if you're like me, you've probably eaten more than enough too many times. We are in the privileged few, yet sometimes we lose perspective under pressure. We think, oh, it is so hard. No one's got it like us. Well, just read the words. Yeah, Paul's saying like we, we live in the face of death. You know, in New Zealand, you don't live in the face of death for your faith. There might be a bit of social humiliation. There might be a, a Facebook mock Oh, well, that's just so bad. Oh, I can't believe it. I shared Jesus and people made fun of me on Facebook. Well, it could have been worse. You could have been shipwrecked, floating at sea for three days and two nights. 
You could have been beaten with rods. You could have been imprisoned falsely. You could have been accused of, of all sorts of things and left in prison to rot for 30 or 40 years. You could have been like the Apostle John and uh, attempted to boil an oil but unable to kill, so they left him on an island so he could write a few more books of the Bible. You see, this pressure that we have, but we've got to keep perspective, it's actually not quite as bad as we seem as when we're under pressure. And here's the thought. We, we as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room tonight, you've said something like, God, use me. But I find when God uses me, I go, God, I feel like I'm being used. <laughs> yes. But didn't you say use me? Yeah. Well, there you go, son. See, you, you all feel after God and you come under pressure. You get used. And being used by God often feels like being used by people. That's what you asked for, son. You see, we've got to keep perspective. It's not that bad. There's other people, most of the world, in fact, who've got it tougher than we do. We are immensely privileged. You'll hear a perspective change from your pastor when he comes back from the Philippines. I remember the first time I went to a third world country, I was in Zambia, in rural Zambia, in the mud huts of Zambia, eating food with my hands off the fire, and trying to reconcile the cost of one of my pairs of jeans with how much they had in their medicine cabinet in this clinic, which they were treating 3,000 inpatients a month. It was irreconcilable. I couldn't reconcile it. We've got to keep perspective. Number two, you've got to keep your priorities. You see, under pressure, it's so easy to throw your priorities away. Oh, yep, I serve Jesus first. But it's so easy under pressure to, to buckle on that. Oh, well, where are there's under demands right now. I'd like to demyth something as a wee side point here is that we, we, we look, a lot of people believe in the myth of a balanced life. There's no such thing as a balanced life. If you're trying to live balanced, it means you want to live your life with a whole lot of rules, and that's exactly how much time I'll spend on God, and that's how much time my devotion will spend, and that's how much time I'll invest into my significant relationships, and that's how much time work will take up. What if there's an opportunity at work? that requires for a season to push a bit harder? What if there's a need at home which requires a bit more focus? I don't try and live a balanced life, but I always adjust the tensions because some weeks ministry pulls and other weeks family pulls. Some weeks business pulls and other weeks holidays have got to pull. But we've got to keep our priorities. You see, uh, in Luke 6.38, Jesus said, the amount you give will determine the amount you give up. And under pressure, when you're under pressure, it's like exam time. You know, some students who have just finished exams, there's this horrible feeling at exam time of pressure. Now, for me, it was a lot worse than you because of my preparation I've just explained to you about. But exams were intense pressure, and, and, and it was easy to, to deform and lose shape as a Christian. To, to lose faith and go, I just need to do this, when the same God you believe for a physical healing can also give you insight and recollection. One of the best prayers I prayed as a student was, God, give me specificity in my studies and give me recollection of things I've even only read once. It was great. I believed for insight into the examiner's mind, even if what the examiner was asking didn't line up with God's way of the earth starting. 
But we've got to understand, we've got to keep priorities because under pressure, it's so easy to go, oh, oh, well, there's pressure on this area of my life, so I need to stop following Jesus. Now, we'd never think it like that. But we'd possibly just go, oh, well, I just need to cut back on, oh, we're under financial pressure. I believe in the tithe, but just not this week. Or we're under relational pressure. I believe in serving in church, but maybe just not this year. You know, well-meaning people will tell you, oh, first year married, don't just take a year for yourself. Now, the problem with that is you start everything in seed form in your first year of marriage. So if you set up not to honor God in your first year of marriage, what have you set up? Oh, we can't serve God and have a strong marriage? See, under pressure, we've got to keep our priorities. There'll be moments in life when your convictions are tested. But remember, it's an exam. If you hold to your priorities, if you hold to your convictions, you graduate. And what happens at graduation? You get a job. And if you graduate from postgraduate, you get a promotion. So God is looking for people he can trust under pressure. Yet Jesus was under immense pressure in ministry. He was under pressure of betrayal of friends. He was under pressure of carrying the weight of our sin on his shoulders. He was at that point, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But he maintained the priority, not my will, but yours. You see, it's so easy in those moments to give up on things and let our emotions take us out of places our conviction led us into. So number three, we need to keep producing fruit. Yeah, there's, there's two sorts of th- kind of things we have from the Holy Spirit. We have gifts of the Holy Spirit and we have fruit of the Holy Spirit. To simplify it down, this really helped me because I like things simple. You get a Christmas tree, right? There's lots of gifts under it or on it. The gifts on a Christmas tree are nothing to do with the type of tree it is. That are to do with the heart of the giver. However, the fruit of the tree tells you what sort of tree it is. So you have an apples on a tree. How many people will know what sort of tree it is? Four people. Anyone, anyone brave enough to shout it out? Apple tree, that's really good. If you have pears on a tree, what sort of tree is it? This is not a trick, okay? But you see, here's the thing. We often look at the, the gifts of the Spirit, and we go, oh, well, I can, you know, you can look at a gift, and oh, wow, they're such a great anointed worship leader. But that's actually more representative of what God has done. Because the gifts are from God. (laughs) That's more about Him. That's why people can be really anointed but be morally bankrupt. Because it's gifts from God. The gifts are about the giver, but the fruit is about the type of tree. Under pressure. You know when that person cut you off on the way to church this morning? What sort of fruit came out of your life? Was it Sunday fruit or was it kind of Saturday night fruit? Because in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no such law against these things. You see, when you're under pressure, you've got to make sure you keep producing fruit. Because it's so easy, ah. Oh, well, I just lost my temper because of this going on, and that makes it okay. You know, nearly all domestic violence things that I've been involved in, there's a justification. I was under pressure, so it was okay. No, it's not. 
Yeah, under pressure, yes. And this is not to condemn, it's to build up. We've got to make sure we keep producing the fruit. Because, see, pressure is a time where you, you, you can be actually entering into something God has promised you, something great, but it, it comes with responsibility. Promotion means responsibility. If you get promoted at work, you get given more responsibility. When I used to be an employee, all I used to worry about was my patience and my income. Now I'm promoted to a boss. I worry about four dentists' patients and income. I worry about 12 staff. I worry about their health. I worry about their job satisfaction. I worry about their, their, uh, their dreams. You see, promotion comes more responsibility. And if we don't learn to handle the pressure, the pressure will deform us. And what was meant to be a blessing will turn out to be destruction. And some people I believe in this room, you're waiting for promotion. But God's saying, hey, you need to handle this pressure better. Because I love you so much, I don't want to see you deformed. So there's a pause on the pressure. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew 9. He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because the new wine, the old wineskins would burst from the pressure. See, God wants to do something new in you. You've got, to, you've got to allow Him to reshape the vessel that is your life to contain what He wants to do. Yes, what happened 10 years ago may have been a great move of God. But God's got a new thing. And He needs you to have a new framework. Yes, amazing grace was an anointed hymn. But it was the, it was the music of the day way back then. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, he didn't like pipe bands. But the reason he used them is they drew a crowd. And, and I think sometimes he would roll his eyes today because the Salvation Army is still using pipe bands. He's like, well, that wasn't the point. He, he used pub songs of the day. His, some of the guest ministry would stand in the front row offended because, hey, that's a drinking song. He says, well, it was, but we've, we've redeemed it for God. We tangent there anyway. We'll get focused. See, no one puts new wine into old wineskins because the old wineskins would burst under pressure. God won't put new wine into you, that thing you're believing for, until you're willing to let the, the wineskin of your life, the container of it, change and adapt and be ready for the new thing. So we've got to keep producing fruit under pressure. Because if, if the point of pressure right now you fail, your strength is weak. So if you don't handle the pressure of right now and, and manage to contain it. Now at first, pressure seems really heavy. And if you had a higher stage, I could make this analogy a lot better. But promotion, if you imagine this is the new territory God's got for your life, this whole stage, when you first get there, when you first get a foothold into a new territory of God, it feels a bit like this. Some of you might have to stand up. It feels like you're just holding on. And then over time, you get some elbows up, and then you're kind of like this, and it's not very dignified, and you're like, oh. And some people stop there and go, wow, I've got the promised land. But actually, if you can learn to handle the responsibility and the pressure while producing fruit of the Spirit... Letting love and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness, and I've got them out of order, sorry, self-control, flourish in your life and produce in your life, then actually you can start to feel at home in the new space. That new place that God has for you until you start to occupy a new territory. But then you know what will happen if you're faithful with that? 
you get entrusted with more. And then be the next level in life, you're like, I'm just holding on. This feels like pressure. And if we deform under pressure, we let go and fall back. See, the people of Israel didn't learn the lessons. They had to go around the mountain again. So we've got to keep producing fruit under pressure because pressure will produce capacity. The day I became a Christian, I watched the sun go down and the sounds on an island, and I said, there's got to be more to life than this, God. If you're real, show yourself to me. I didn't tell anyone. I went from that moment to inside. I ate pineapple lumps and played Monopoly with my cousins. But my life changed profoundly in that moment. I started reading the Bible and I started praying. I read Psalms. I liked poetry. And I just started praying how the psalmist prayed. I started, I was going to church already, but suddenly it was like the preacher was talking to me and my friends who were trying to have fun were annoying me because I wanted to listen. But what, it started changing my life. And, and, but in that moment, as a, as a 12-year-old boy, if you told me, hey, John, this is what's required of you, I would have crumpled and buckled. I want you to give 60% of your income. If you told me 10% of your income, then I went, oh, no way. Because money had the hold of my life. But you see, God understands what we are capable of, and he doesn't ask something of you that you can't give. He says you will not be tempted beyond what you can endure. So that's a great thing. When you're under pressure, understand that you're not under so much pressure that you're going to fail. What you're experiencing right now now, Peter puts a proviso on this as long as it's not the result of murder, gossip, quarreling, doing the wrong stuff. But you see, so much of what we face as Christians is actually because we do the right stuff. We're under time pressure because you prioritize the kingdom of God and are here tonight at church. Because you put God first in your week, a lot of you are here this morning and tonight. Now, that creates time demands later on the week. Now, because you've put God first, you can say, well, God, I'm under pressure, but it's because I've been doing the right thing. That's the great thing about the tithe. If you put the first 10% in the kingdom into the house of God, the rest is holy. The first fruits makes the whole batch holy. That's a principle in the Bible. The great thing is when there's a, t- a moment of tension, you can have faith that God's got it covered. Now, that sounds real easy and encouraging until you're in that place of pressure. Because I don't know about you, but financial pressure is one of those things that really gets my wheels spinning and keeps me awake at night. My wife and I had a month recently where we, we gave 20000 over and above what we'd planned to give. Uh, we, we partnered that with a bit of time off work because we believed we needed a holiday. And we partnered that with a couple of unexpected bills in the magnitude of a zero more than we expected on the wrong end of the bill. So we had this period of time where we needed about $65,000 and we had $14,000 in our bank account in two and a half weeks. But we stood on the back of giving more than we planned to because we felt God lead us into that. That is enormous pressure. But here's the thing. See, because I was struggling with this, and I was, I was, and I was in church, and you know, you'd praise God in spite of the pressure, and the cloud would go away for a while. But then you'd be out of church, and you know, something about Tuesday afternoon. I don't know what it is about Tuesday afternoons, but by Tuesday afternoons, most of church has worn off. And <laughs> that was a joke, by the way, but. But you get in this place and you oh man, and then the clouds are back and I'm, I'm getting grumpy with the kids and I'm being a bit short with my wife and all of those things. You can judge me for it, but you do it as well. And it's just like flipping heck, God, this is a lot of money. I don't know how to handle this because it used to be pressure was a $1,000 bill, not 65000 And I thought, oh, this is tough. And I thought, what do I do? And I got this revelation, you see, because what, 
Peter does in this passage, he says, but praise God that you bear the name for it is time. And he goes on and says this, and he says, but those who suffer should, uh, uh, according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you suffer trials and tribulations, he goes on and says, this passage is full of, if you do this, it's okay, it's good. And in fact, he's, he goes on to say, you can praise God, not in spite of the pressure, but because of it. That's the revelation. You see that in pressure, there's a point of praise. In pressure, there's a point where you can praise God, not in spite of what you're under, but because of what you're under. And that's where we need the Holy Spirit. Because what I've found in that moment, and I was literally just doing a small run because my broken legs don't run very far anymore, and I was doing a 2K run. And just before I hit the 1K mark, God said, you can praise me because of this. And at that moment, in 20 seconds of out of breath, unfit 37-year-old John Malcolm's praise while he's running, which sounded very awful, I praise God because of the pressure. In that moment, the pressure, the cloud of pressure disappeared and it did not come back. It took two minutes. Because if we praise Him, not in spite of the pressure, but because of the pressure, we find the point of praise. We turn what was meant to be harm to good. And we find that actually, wow, it's okay. Once again, praise produces perspective. It's not a coincidence today that both the final points of my message is, is praise. You see, because I believe to need and equip his, there's a point of praise in your life under pressure. Uh, you know, when you're in exams, you can praise God for the pressure of exams because you're getting an education. And it's an opportunity to graduate and get on to the next year, or maybe you're at the end of your degree and to get into a job. When, when there's challenge in your health, you can praise God. You'll find a point of praise. Sometimes you need revelation. When it's a long-term health challenge, you need revelation. God, how can I praise you because of this? Not in spite of this. You see, this was, the, the, this was, was Peter's teaching on pressure. But if you go back into Acts, you find his practice on pressure. In Acts 5, Peter and John have been imprisoned, they've been beaten, they've been falsely accused just for doing the will of God. But it says in the verse 41, the apostles, Peter and John, left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. So they didn't praise God in spite of the beating. They praised God because of the beating. Can you see how different his perspective on pressure was, on on persecution, on trouble was? Peter's perspective wasn't, oh, wow, we're just going to get through this. He's like, wow, praise God, we're having this. That's why they could go through that and not shrink back because there was religious pressure on them. There There was persecution. There was all sorts of pressure on them, but they could not deform under pressure because they found the point of praise. They praise God because, hey, we're worthy of suffering for your name. That's a great default. If it gets down to that bad, I thank you that I can suffer with Jesus for his cause. Now, once again, the context is not if you're living sinfully. Pressure created by sin is something to live right. <laughs> Do what the Bible says. But, but pressure because you, you're being promoted, you've been faithful with what you're entrusted with. Pressure because you've been believing for a child and and there's been a miracle and you've got a child. 
It creates pressure on you, but praise God for the pressure. Find a point of praise in the sleepless night that all through the watches of the night you can praise His name. But you see, some of you need to stir up some praise because then the pressure won't push you down. It won't be this cloud or shadow that people are like, oh, which, which John is going to turn up today? Happy John or angry John? They'll know it's happy boss every day of the week because they found the point of praise and praise will break the yoke. Praise will break the slavery of pressure and praise will make you carry pressure well. So you don't carry it stooped down, you carry it straight up. Praising God, not in spite of the pressure, but because of the pressure. Jesus, when he's on his knees, praying the prayer, not your will, but my will. He's in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Literally means oil press. What happened in that place, under pressure, olives are crushed. But that's where the oil flows. Oil in the Bible is a picture of anointing and a picture of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you're trying to avoid the very pressure that God wants to crush some stuff to produce an anointing. My wife and I look back at our first year marriage and we never advise people to have kids straight away. We don't advise people to do it the way we did it. But we also know that when we planted Christchurch Equippers, we handled the pressure because we'd had that first year of marriage. What is the promotion on the far side of this current season of pressure? So my belief tonight is that these four things will leave you in good stead. Number one, to keep perspective under pressure. Number two, to keep your priorities. Keep Jesus number one. Number three, keep producing fruit. And number four, keep praising. And that's where we need the Holy Spirit. So a great prayer to pray tonight. If you're under pressure in some part of your life as Holy Spirit, what's the point of praise? What is the point of praise? You see, your point of praise will be different to mine because your points of pressure will be different to mine. What I can handle without breaking a sweat will cause some of you to vomit. But what some of you guys can handle without batting an eyelid would would cause me to run and cower. But that's okay because we've got different lanes. But what is the point of pressure? You see, because the kingdom needs people who walk and handle pressure so they can handle promotion. Because we need people who are going to be leaders in society. We need people who are going to come into the areas of education and handle the the pressure of being an educator in, in the 21st century. In New Zealand, not moan about NCEA, but actually flourish in that environment, handle the pressure of being a principal so to have influence across the city. We need people who handle the pressure of being in the, in the arts and entertainment arena and being the pressure of being in the spotlight all the time, but do it with integrity so they can have influence in that whole area, in that whole arena. We need people who can handle the pressure of business so they can be resource funnels for the kingdom. That they can be living off the 10% and not the 90. We need people who can handle the pressure of parenting and produce uh, and, and invest into another generation who are legends and leaders. We need people who can handle that pressure and be promoted. Not just people who are holding on till Jesus comes, I'll just survive another day. See, because the survival instinct or the survival mentality is an enemy to the purposes of God for your life. We need churches that are overflowing. 
We need churches that are overflowing with people, that are overflowing with resource, that are overflowing with solutions, that the community come and go, man, we just need some a solution. We need some help. And we're like, sure, we can do it. Not, oh, oh well, this is pretty hard. We're just surviving here. In this place, I believe there is a capacity increase moment. For some of you, it's a new wineskin moment. You've got to shake off some of the old wineskin and go, actually, God, I'm embracing the new season of life. I'm embracing the new shape of ministry that is going to to contain ministry in the next season of life. Nothing wrong with the old wineskin, but it's not going to handle the new wine. There's got to be people saying, yes, God, I'm going to open myself up to to being a person who endures and keeps perspective and priority and producing fruit under pressure. Because we need to be a generation that influences our nation and doesn't just hang on until Jesus comes. Sometimes if we're honest, under pressure, the old self comes out. I would love to be able to stand before you and go, hey, I'm John Malcolm and I do it right all the time and it's a lie. There's so many times under pressure, I give a little bit of ground. Not a whole lot. I've always been faithful to my wife. I've, I've, I've never cheated in taxes or anything like that. But, you know, but sometimes we give a little bit of under, under pressure. And the enemy would then speak up in that moment and, and would try and condemn you and say, oh, you haven't changed a bit. You're just like the old self. You, you, you haven't. But you've got to understand we've got to bounce back. Because pressure will come, but you've got to be elastic. Yep, I gave a bit of ground, but thank you, God. You're a God of second chances. So the enemy would seek to bring condemnation, say you're not good enough, you don't measure up. And the best answer to that is it's true except for the blood of Jesus except for what my Saviour did for me, it would have been true. See, First Peter 5, 6 and 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares to you. You were never meant to walk around with the weight of the world on your shoulders. There's only one person who had to carry that load, and that was Jesus. At the cross, when He carried His cross to Calgary, He walked with the, the sin, the weight of sin, the weight of greed, the weight of lust, the weight of selfish desire and ambition, the weight of cruelty and, and, and all sorts of inhumane things, the, the, weight of, the weight of the sin of the world. But at the cross when He died, He died perfect. And the blood that He shed was paid for a price that you and I would not face the punishment for our sins, but would go free if we would accept Him as our Saviour, if we would submit to Him as our Lord.